as we've been checking through the book of Genesis, we've been studying the family tree of Jacob and his sons. And when we left off in our story, Jacob and his 12 sons, such a big family, we saw how Jacob began to favor one of his younger sons, Joseph, how he poured much love onto this one son because he was the son of his favorite wife, a family uh, full of, of just craziness and dysfunction. Perhaps you're there tonight and, and you can relate. There's a little bit of, a, of an echo going on on my, my voice, but we're going to fix that right now. And as we see tonight's study, the, the family, what happens when sin enters and is allowed to fester and to grow, it brings forth death and destruction. Tonight, the title of the study is Caught Up in Sin. And right off the bat, I want to encourage us believers and Christians and perhaps maybe you're listening tonight and you haven't committed yourself to the Lord. Perhaps there's things in our life that are blocking relationship with God, with Jesus. I want to encourage all of us that the Lord wants us and desires that we have a repentant heart. That yes, we're sinners, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we mess up, we make mistakes. But God desires that we would be delivered from sin. That we would live a victorious Christian walk. That though there is still sin, that we are sinners, we can't change that. That we are striving for God's holiness. We're striving to live like Jesus. In today's world, people are no longer looking to the Bible to the scriptures for what is right and wrong anymore, but in fact are looking towards their emotions and towards the climate of the culture rather than looking at what God's absolute word says. We need to be careful on not misleading people. We need to be careful with ourselves on not allowing sin to have a foothold in our life. In tonight's chapter, Genesis 38, when we left off, let me continue, that Joseph's 11 sons became jealous. I'm sorry, Jacob's 11 sons became jealous of Joseph, their younger brother. And he was given this coat of many colors. And so they devised this plan. They said, you know what? This dreamer thinks he's going to rule over us one day. Let's kill him. And then the oldest brother, Reuben, perhaps in order to save his younger brother with some conviction in his heart, said, oh, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. And so they threw him in the pit. And then one of their other brothers, Reuben, when they were deciding what to do with him, besides Reuben, Judah, stood up and said, hey, let's not kill Joseph, our younger brother. 
but let's just sell him. Perhaps he too was convicted and didn't want his brother to die. So they sold him to the Midianites. These Ishmaelites who were journeying to Egypt. They were both Ishmaelites and Midianites. And the Bible teaches that when they sold him, in Genesis chapter 42, there's a verse that says, when the brothers were before Joseph, they said, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, we would not hear. Which that verse in Genesis 42, verse 21 gives us insight on that interaction of when they were selling their brother Joseph, of how he was crying out to them. His very soul was crying out to them in anguish, saying, please don't do this. And they wouldn't listen to him. You see, they hated their brother at this point, and their hatred was leading to murder almost, and was leading to selling him into slavery. And they lied to their father once they sold him. Once they sold him, they told their father, they got his robe of many colors and they killed an animal and they poured blood all over his coat and went to their father, Jacob, and said, look, Jacob, look, dad, your, your son, Joseph, whom you loved, an animal has killed him and slain him. And Jacob, also Israel is his name. Israel wept and mourned for his son greatly. And a way that the brothers were perhaps not even expecting this great mourning, this great devastation in their father's heart. And this family was being torn apart already. Now, from this point in scripture, the Bible takes an interesting kind of riff, kind of a a, a rabbit trail onto another account in the life of one of Israel's sons, in the life of Judah. And this next chapter we're about to read, Genesis chapter 38, is one of the raciest, one of the most kind of hard to teach studies that there is because of the, the content. I'll, I'll even put a disclaimer right now if there are young children listening. Uh, this might be a study you might want to um, listen in on yourself first before you show them this study. Because the Bible, because it's truth, it tells exactly what happens in these families' lives. And it doesn't try to make these men seem greater than what they really were as sinners. So let's begin now with verse 1 of Genesis chapter 38. It says, It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Now notice Judah is departing from his family at this point. I wonder if perhaps the division over the lie of their brother being killed, over that dramatic event, perhaps Judah needed some time away from his brothers. But he goes to this Adulamite It says in verse 2, And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her 
and went into her. What do we see Judah doing here? Who is he marrying? A Canaanite. How many times did we hear of the forefathers telling their sons to marry God's people? Not these pagan women. But what do we see Judah doing? The exact opposite. He is, first of all, separated from his family. The Bible teaches us that sometimes men, they get alone to be by themselves, to get away from the counsel of other men. They seek their own. And that's perhaps what Judah found himself in. No accountability. And then in verse 3, So she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. It's a great name if you guys are ever trying to think of a son's name, Ur. She conceived again and bore a son and called his name Onan. So now he has two sons, and she conceived yet again and bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. And he was at Chezib when she was born. Now, if you look at these names, the first name, it's a, a Hebrew name, and then the latter two would have been named from the Canaanite names. So as we see there, after the firstborn son, he then began to allow the, the Canaanite woman to name the children. And perhaps that third son, Sheila, perhaps she wanted a girl at that time. That's why she named him Sheila. Who knows? But then in verse six, then Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord God killed him. Whoa. Isn't that quite crazy when we see that the Lord, at times in the Bible, says the Lord kills? Why? Because God is a God of justice. Now, we don't know the situations surrounding of why he slaughtered this firstborn, Ur. But when we know God's attributes, when we study the attributes of God, we know God is loving, God is patient, he's kind. We also know that he is a God of justice, meaning that he will be righteous. He will judge righteously. So when we come into the situations where we're unsure of the righteousness of God, we have to fall back on what we do know. We do know that God is righteous, that he is all just. When you look at the attributes of God, whatever he is, he's 100% of it all the way. If God is knowing, he's all knowing. If he's loving, he's all loving. If he's just, he's all just. So if he's not evil, there's no wickedness in him. There is no evil in him. So Ur, the firstborn, 
after marrying Tamar, is then killed by the Lord. And then in verse 7, Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. So now Judah, after he has his firstborn is killed, he goes now to Onan, his secondborn, and he tells him, look, you're going to take your brother's wife who's passed away, your brother's wife for yourself. And what we see instituted here is this cultural practice, which is later turned into a law in Leviticus, where if there was a brother whose wife passed away, that brother then, who was still alive, would then take that wife, marry her, look after her, protect her, and the firstborn son that she was to have was going to have the name of the brother who passed away. And that firstborn child was by culture and later on by the Levitical law then, no longer the sons of that brother who was still alive, but it would be the son of the brother who had passed away, so that way the family name can carry on. Now, I understand in today's culture, we look at that like, what in the world? And this is what God had instituted for the time being. Now, there's also another interesting law and you can find this in Leviticus that if that brother was to refuse, let's say he wasn't too hot on the wife that was, you know, still alive. If he was to refuse her, then he would have to have his sandal removed. He would have to remove the sandal from his foot and give it to her. And this weird cultural sign of like, this is being removed. This is what I think of the situation. And then the woman was then by cultural law supposed to spit in his face and this was just the way they did it back then as a sign of like all right this is an agreement that we're having okay you take off your shoe she spits in your face all right you guys are good cool that's it end of story so onan instead of getting spit in the face then he he marries her and then in verse nine it says but onan knew that the heir would not be his meaning the son. When it, and it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground lest he should give her, give an heir to his brother. So Onan now marries Tamar. And when it says to go in, that's to have the marriage relationship, the uh consummation of the marriage and during this marriage intimacy instead of giving her a child it says that he had his seed on the floor so he did not impregnate her as judah had told him to so look at verse 10 and the thing which he did displeased the lord therefore he killed him also. So 
We need to talk about this for a second. <laughs> now, in these two verses, after Onan has sexual relationships with his wife and does not impregnate her, but masturbates on the floor, some people would use this as a text of, okay, this is a text proof that masturbation here is a sin. But we have to look at the full context of everything. The thing which he did displeased the Lord because he did not do what the Lord had commanded in giving him, her, his wife another son. And it displeased him, so he killed him. Now, on this subject of masturbation, the Bible is silent on it. The Bible does not specifically say, talk about this. What the Bible is clear on is fornication, which is that sexual, uh, any kind of sexual relationship or sexual out activity that is outside the marriage confines between a husband and a wife. So I, in ministry, I've had people ask me about masturbation. I've, and I have to explain to them, look, there is fornication in the mind and in the heart that we're not supposed to be partaking of. The Bible is silent on it. And I think God intended to be, I know God intended to be silent on it. Now, the Catholic teaching, which is also kind of interesting, is, and I believe some still believe this, that uh, they are not supposed to use contraceptives. And you could go look it up, fact check me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I've looked this up myself and I think some people have different views on it. But coitus interruptus, um, to ha have that sexual intimacy with your husband, with your wife, there's some who believe that you, you can't have birth control, which is also not taught in the Bible. This is uh, something that the, the Bible teaches that the marriage bed is undefiled. So between the husband and the wife, that's the beauty of marriage that God gives them. That's why it's, it's so important that we keep the marriage sacred. Now, again, back with this, this account here, Onan is killed by the Lord because he does not raise up the son that God was calling him to. Look at verse 10 again. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Whew, we got through that. All right, verse 11. <laughs> then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah says, look, my firstborn son killed. Now my secondborn son, also dead. So he's probably emotionally just destroyed at this point. And before he marries off this daughter, like he was supposed to, to his third son, Sheila, he says, you know what? Go live with your father. 
until Sheila is grown. So she goes and she stays with her father. Now in verse 12, now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend, Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with the veil, and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way of Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife. Okay, so let's paint this picture real quick. Judah, his wife, passes away. Some time passes. And him and his friend, they go up to this sheep shearing uh, sort of like festival. Uh, there would be a, a lot of uh, festival and party around the, the act of sheep shearing. So he goes to the up for the sheep shearing festival. It's kind of strange. And as he's on his way, some people tell his daughter-in-law, hey, Judah, your, your father-in-law, he's, he's coming. And what she does is she takes off the, the widow's wardrobe that she would wear as she was in mourning. And she then puts on the attire of a prostitute. She is now scheming this plan that we're going to look at. Look at verse 15. It says, When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Now remember, she's been waiting all this time to be remarried to the, the youngest son, but Judah didn't give it to her. So she's now acting again in the flesh and in sin and presenting herself to Judah, but in disguise as a harlot. It says in verse 16, Then he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? So this is right here is the deal back and forth now at this point where they're bargaining of the price of this uh, prostitution. And, and, and it's sad that there are, are, are women in our, in our cities that are, are doing this. They, they say it's the old occupation, right? And some people try to, to justify it and to say, oh, like, let, you know, women do as they please and men do as they please and there's, there's no more morality. But it's wrong. This is how far they're going where the daughter-in-law is prostituting herself to her father-in-law. It's terrible. Now look at verse 17. And he said, because she's saying, what are you going to give to me as a pledge? 
and meaning like what what's the price because they're bargaining right here. And he said in verse 17, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. So he promised her a young goat, which that was worth a lot at the time. But he didn't have the goat there. So he said, look, I I promise I'll give you the goat. But until now, how about this? You take my signet ring and my cord, which the signet ring was used to stamp the the tablets. It was kind of like the way you see a, a seal put on a letter and the king would stamp it as that seal of authority, of validity. That was what his signet ring was. And it's this pledge to her saying, look, this is how much I'm going to pledge, kind of like insurance, for the goat that's going to come later. So he has this sexual relationship with her and she conceives by him. She gets pregnant. And then in verse 19, so she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. So she, after has this interaction with Judah, she then goes and changes back into her widow garments as if, oh, that's it. Now I'm back in my secret. And it's hypocritical. And Judah, what we see in him is him completely engulfed in his flesh. In a moment when he loses his wife, now faced with the emotions of, of being alone and of heartbreak. Perhaps he, he leaves morality out the window. He throws it out the window. And as he's going to this festival, and in this festivals, a lot of times there would be drink and alcohol and just big party. And he sees this prostitute on the way, doesn't even realize that it's his own daughter-in-law, which kind of maybe hints that he might've been intoxicated. And says, you know what? I I want it. I see it. I want it. And that's where the battle starts. What we see, what we begin to dwell on with our mind. And then it grows into action of what we do. And so when we see those images in our mind, when we think those thoughts, which are not of the Lord, we need to begin to lay those before God and say, God, This is the situation I'm in. You remember that that old nursery rhyme for in Sunday school? Perhaps you've heard it. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. That's that that same message because what we allow into our mind and into our, our body, it affects the whole body. We need to allow God's light, his truth, his justice, his love to enter into our body. I'm remembering the the words to the rest of that nursery rhyme. It's for the father up above is looking down in love and he's watching over you and me. And sometimes we think of, of God as this 
and some the times the world thinks of God as this God who's looking down from above and he's just waiting for us to do wrong so that he can just hurt us and, and judge us. But what that nursery rhyme says is more accurate. For the father up above is looking down in love and he's watching over you and me. You see, God desires the best for us which he knows is himself. So when we prostitute ourselves, when we come into spiritual fornication, spiritual adultery, meaning that God is the relationship we're supposed to have, that we're married to him, but then we go and we embark into these sinful adventures and affairs and lust and lying and cheating and greed and anger and hate, We prostitute ourselves to sin. God was angry with Israel and the Old Testament prophets. We read through Jeremiah how God would would constantly say, you have become worse than a harlot, Israel. For not only are, are you prostituting yourself, but you are now paying people to have this adulterous relationship with you. And he's speaking of that, that spiritually and literally was what they were doing. Where they were paying to get into sin. It was costing them. And that's what sin does. It, It costs us. It costs us the ability to, to be full of that spirit, the Holy Spirit. It sometimes silences us when we should be speaking out in truth and in love to people. Sometimes we're afraid because we think, how can I say anything about this subject if I myself am I am guilty of it? And this is why we need to be in repentance. So Judah, as we see in this picture, He was failing. And I know I say this verse a lot, but when we find ourselves in that struggle, the Bible teaches us to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Psalms 119. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to his word. The Bible teaches us to flee youthful lusts. And to not grow weary while doing good. For in due season you will reap a harvest. So you keep fighting. You're moving forward. You're walking with God. You mess up. You fall. Right then, throughout that entire season, God is just like, okay, I want you to get back up. We're going to keep walking. We're going to keep going forward. We're not going to stop. We're not going to go backwards, but we're going to keep moving forward. That's the walk with God. We're more than conquerors with Christ Jesus because he has already won the battle. So we look forward with hope that God is working on us. He's changing us. He's making us new. This is what Judah needed to learn. So now, as Tamar, his daughter-in-law, 
changed her garments. In verse 20, it says, And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Now see, look at this. Judah is not even man enough to go give the goat to Tamar himself, the prostitute. But he sends his friend, the Adulamite. But the Adulamite goes and he can't find her. It says in verse 21, Then he asked the men of that place, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said, there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be ashamed. For I sent this young goat and you have not found her. So the Adulamite goes, he can't find her because obviously she's not there. She went there with one thing in mind. She's not there anymore. And he's like, all right, well, perhaps we'll just, you know, keep quiet about the matter. Nobody needs to know about it. Forget it. She took my signet ring anyway. And then in verse 23, then Judah said, I'm sorry, verse 24. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. So look at what's going on here. We got Judah just commits fornication with his daughter-in-law. He doesn't know it's his daughter-in-law, but he commits fornication with her, just fueled by lust, has sex with the prostitute. And then they come and tell him, hey, uh, your daughter-in-law, by the way, she's pregnant. And he's like, what? Kill her. The hypocrisy in all of this. Isn't it kind of interesting how quickly and easily we see our sin in other people? The things we struggle with, we catch in other people. And sometimes we're quick to judge without grace, without love. May we be gracious to others as we desire them to be to us. May we also speak truth to others as we need to have truth in our life. You see, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth, it's hypocrisy. Now, after he says, let her be burned, verse 25, when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, please determine whose these are, the signet and cord and staff. This is one of those moments where Maury Povich says, you are the father, Judah. She just said, look, I'm pregnant by the man who gave me these, the signet ring, the, the cord, the staff. And suddenly Judah has that David moment where the conviction is now on him. The spotlight is on him. The truth comes out. You see, here's another thing, Christian believer, that I exhort us and warn us in tonight, is that our sin will find us out. 
You see, God doesn't play games. Though we have times of grace, eventually the sin catches up with us. And whether it's going to be in this life or the next, we will be judged. And I, and I pray that on that day of judgment, we have Christ standing before us as mediator. Christ who took away all of our sins so that we don't have to pay that punishment. And so in the meantime, the life that we have, we live with adoration, with thanking him. We don't live on making God's grace cheap. You see, it costs God, his only son, costs Jesus his life. It was very costly. And it, it shouldn't be taken for granted. So we need to be not just robbing God of the grace he, he gives in the sense that we just say, oh, we continue to sin that grace may abound. Paul says, certainly not. So now as Tamar is saying, look, Judah, you're the one who's impregnating me. I'm carrying your child. In verse 26, so Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Sheila, my son, and he never knew her again. Now this is, what we need to bring up is Judah right here. He realizes that he's a sinner. He realizes that he messed up, that he did not give Tamar to the next son, Sheila, and that he also acted in his flesh. And he has this repentful heart. It says he never knew her again, meaning he never had intercourse with her after this. And then in verse 26, so Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous. I'm sorry, verse 27. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through this breach be upon you? Therefore, his name was called Perez. And afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zara. Now Perez literally, Perez means breakthrough, literally. So when Tamar is giving birth to these twins, as she's about to have the first child come out, first an arm comes out, and the midwife, she ties a scarlet thread around it as like, okay, this is going to be the firstborn. But then suddenly, for some reason, the other baby comes out. Whoop. That was the noise it made. And that other baby comes out, and they're like, whoa, how did you break through? And they call him Perez. 
to break forth. Now, this is what's interesting. Is that through this line from Tamar, when you look at the genealogy of Christ, we find that Jesus comes through this. And this is what's incredible about this entire terrible story of Judah and Tamar is that though this was a filthy, terrible sin committed, what do we get from it? The line of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, comes through this line. You see, Jesus was both 100% God and 100% man, meaning he was born through Mary, who was born a sinner, who was from sinners. But we see God's grace in this story, in this account. We see how God sovereignly uses what the enemy tried to do to break down the family of God. God sovereignly uses this for good. In Romans, we learn that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So have you messed up? Have we messed up in our life? Yes. Yes, we have. Does God still have good planned for us? Yes, yes, he does. Are we sinners? Yes. Does God still want to pour out his grace on us? Yes, he does. Are we failing and are we going to fail? Yes, yes, we will. But God still loves us. When I used to lead the, the high school group at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs in worship, before we would go out onto stage, I, I would look at, at, at the youth and sometimes they'd be nervous, they'd be scared. And I would share with them, hey, like, you guys, I want you to know this. Before we go out there, you're going to mess up. But it's okay, because God already knows. So after that happens, continue to worship him. And for some reason, that just allowed them to allow that, that kind of anxiety to just come off of them, where they're like, you know what? It's okay, because we're going to move forward. We're going to go in what God has called us to do. We're going to try our best, try to be holy before the Lord, to flee evil, sin, corruption. And we're going to know that Jesus has a plan for our life, that God loves us and has called us to a life full of his spirit. And he has that for you tonight. If you're listening tonight and this chapter was, was heavy for you with some of the things that you're struggling with, I want to pray with you. In fact, if there's some of you who are listening tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray a prayer and ask that God, if you are willing, that you would receive Christ into your mind and into your heart, into your life, that Christ would be Lord and Savior of your life. So let's pray. And if that's you, just repeat this prayer after me. 
Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Make me holy. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you for a new life. May I walk in it. I love you and I praise you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to pray for the believers and listeners tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace. I pray, Father, for those listening that you would fill them with your spirit that they would go forward this week in truth and love. Father, that you would give them with gifts, the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they might be used as instruments in your kingdom. May we use the name of Jesus in conversation correctly this week. May your church grow. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, as we are looking at this chapter, I'm reminded, sometimes we, we see just a, a really bad example of a man struggling. But in next week's chapter, we're going to take a look at Joseph and we're going to look at a man who, when temptation comes this way, he doesn't fall and how God is with him and still struggling. So tune in next week as we continue our study in the book of Genesis. Uh, and remember this Sunday, we will uh, have communion and it is also that our clocks are going backward. So if you have an iPhone, it'll change automatically. Meet us here at 1130. All right, 11.30 a.m., real time. Let's end with worship. Condemned in darkness But your mercy brought new life And in your loving kindness Raised me up with Christ And made me righteous You have brought me back With the riches of your amazing grace And relentless love I made
Go forward in Jesus' name. God bless.